Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Good weekend. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show. My name is Gee Flaming. I appreciate everyone stopping by and downloading this week's episode. Special shout out to longtime listener Chris Nova, who uh, sent me a nice message on Twitter. Says he's been a, a fan of the show for over a decade now. Really appreciate that, Chris. Busy show, so we're not going to waste any time. Let's get right to the news and notes for this week. Oh, a reminder, though, uh, Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's the best beef jerky you've ever had. Might be the best beef jerky you've never had if you've never tried it. Three Edmonton and area locations, one in Spruce Grove, one in Leduc, that's the original, and the newest one is in West Edmonton Mall, just a stone's throw away from the Ice Palace on the main level in West Edmonton Mall. You can go to wilhockbeefjerky.com, that's W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com, and they will ship your order to you anywhere in Western Canada. So if you can't make the drive into Edmonton, uh, don't fret. You can get Wilhock Beef Jerky. All right, Canada's World Junior Team has been announced. And I guess the biggest surprise is that uh, returnee Carson Lambos uh, did not make the final team this year. So that, that doesn't happen very often. So a bit of a surprise there. Some of the teams have not been finalized just yet. We'll we'll look to uh, have a preview of the World Junior next week here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, but Canada's roster, the two goaltenders, Ben Goudreau from the the Sarnia Sting and uh, Thomas Milich of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Uh, just based on their stats alone, Milich having a much better year than Ben Goudreau is. Goudreau, a 362 goals against and an 868 save percentage. Meanwhile, Milich playing on one of the best teams in the CHL, has a 235 goals against and a 919 save percentage. So uh, definitely Milich has had the better season. However, Goudreau has a track record here with Hockey Canada. Probably made him a front runner coming into the camp. Three Chicago Blackhawk prospects uh, on the blue line in uh, Nolan Allen, Ethan Del Mastro, and Kevin Korczynski. Also a Blackhawk up front in Colton Dock. A little bit surprised that he made the team. But Canada probably looking for a bigger body to have as a, potentially a 13th forward. I probably would have leaned towards Jordan Dume as that 13th guy, but uh, maybe Hockey Canada said, you know what, we've already got Connor Bedard, we've already got Logan Stankoven as 
undersized uh, offensive wizards. And maybe they just didn't think they needed another one in Jordan Dume. I disagree, but it's still a pretty solid team here uh, for Team Canada. Of course, they uh, had their rosters boosted with the return of Dylan Gunther, Shane Wright, and on the back end, Brant Clark, all from the NHL. All right, but we'll get to the World Junior Championship uh, a lot more in depth, uh, hopefully, next week. Uh, The World Junior A Challenge is happening right now in Cornwall, Ontario. As we speak, uh, it's now Friday morning. Canada West sitting in first place. They have nine points with a record of three and one. They've gone through the round robin now. The U.S. is second with uh, six points, a record of two and one. Sweden is 1-1-0-1 with an overtime loss coming against Latvia in the uh, ter- their tournament opener. But Sweden, a big victory yesterday against Canada West. Uh, later on, you're going to hear uh, one of the interviews that I did where we talked about the World Junior A Challenge just very briefly. Uh, And the mention was that Sweden has not come together in this tournament. Well, they did last night, rounding into form much more what we expected uh, from Team Sweden. So right now the top three, Canada West, U.S., and Sweden. Uh, Canada East looks like they're probably going to qualify for the uh, playoff round, Latvia, 0-2-1. Looks like they're on the outside looking in. Uh, Leading scorer in the tournament is Aiden Fink right now from the Brooks Bandits. 10 points in four games. The CHL's top 10 this week. The Seattle Thunderbirds take over the number one spot. The Winnipeg Ice are at number two. It was Quebec that was number one before, but they have dropped now to number three. Meanwhile, Saskatoon and Portland are four and five. Yes, you've heard right. That's four WHL teams in the top five right now. The Ottawa 67s are the top OHL club. They sit in the number six position. Victoriaville is seven. The London Knights are 8, North Bay 9, and the Halifax Mooseheads round out the top 10 this week in the number 10 spot. The honorable mentions, a couple more dub teams, Kamloops and Red Deer with the Saginaw Spirit also getting a nod. Go to the scoring leaders in the Western Hockey League in your top 5. No surprise, Connor Bedard leading the way. He's got 64 points now. Andrew Crystal from the Kelowna Rockets has 51. Terrific season. For the draft-eligible player, we'll be looking to get him on the show probably early in January, talk about the top prospect game, uh, either before or right after the game. Tanner Howe of the Pats coming in next. He's got 45 points, not draft-eligible until next season is uh, Tanner Howe. Zach Benson and Logan Stankoven both with 44 points. Benson draft-eligible this year. Stankoven obviously drafted already by the Dallas Stars. Sliding over to the Ontario Hockey League, Ty Voigt continues to lead the OHL in scoring. little surprised he didn't get an invite to uh, USA Hockey's uh, World Junior Camp, but he's got 52 points. Matthew Maggio from the Windsor Spitfires is next with 44. Logan Morrison, who was uh, so instrumental for the Hamilton Bulldogs last year, he's back at it. He's got 43 points for the Bulldogs right now. Pavel Mintikov of the Saginaw Spirit defenseman has 43 points. And Amadeus Lombardi from the Flint Firebirds is next with 41. And meanwhile, in the queue, uh, the aforementioned Jordan Dume has 56 points for Halifax. Alex Doucette has 51 with Valdor. The Sherbrooke Phoenix duo of Justin Gill and Joshua Waugh come in 3-4 and four with 44 and 43 points. And Theo Rochette from the Quebec Rempart also has 43 what another CHL uh, news item to pass on, just being announced here today, that uh, 
Quebec Major Junior Hockey League Commissioner Gilles Courteau is announcing his retirement with the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. It'll be a while before he actually leaves, though. He'll be uh, staying on as commissioner for the first six months of next season as well before the new commissioner is announced. They're also renaming the President's Cup in the queue after the outgoing commissioner. It'll be now called the Gilles Courteau Trophy. Changing gears to the USHL and the Chicago Steel domination of the top scoring list continues. Jack Harvey uh, sits on top of the heap with 35 points in 23 games. Madison Madcaps, uh, the Madison Capitals, Miko Matika, the import player, has 32 points. He's second in league scoring, but then it's a couple more Chicago players and Michael Emerson and Jaden Perron, both with 28. Sioux Falls Stampede, Ford, Samuel Harris and Cole Knubel from Fargo, both with 27. Uh, moving on in the North American Hockey League, a new leader as Dave Andrichuk has just surpassed Christian Catalano by one point. He has 35, Catalano has 34, uh, and it's gotten a little tighter as Aiden Weston has 33 points and then a pair of players, Jack LaRusso and Paul Minahan, both with 32. So the scoring race in the North American Hockey League has gotten tighter. The top 20 in the USHO for this week as we get into pretty much the holiday break. Not a lot of games going on this weekend. There's just six games tonight in the NCAA and a five on Saturday, one more on Sunday. So everybody is uh, pretty much wrapping it up here for the holiday break. The Denver Pioneers, uh, the number one ranked team, they get 26 first place votes uh, from the USCHO uh, voting panel. Quinnipiac has 15. They are the number two ranked team with the Minnesota Golden Gophers, the only other club who got any first place votes. They had nine. So far from unanimous for Denver, uh, but they do hold down the number one spot. Quinnipiac, two, Minnesota, three. Then you've got St. Cloud, Penn State, Merrimack, Michigan, Boston University, Harvard, and Connecticut is ranked number 10. Michigan State, Providence, the UMass Lowell Riverhawks come in at 13. Ohio State, Massachusetts. Minnesota State, Michigan Tech, Western Michigan, Notre Dame, and it's RIT in the number 20 spot. All guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. The brewery is open in Red Deer. We were down at the Centrium last week and uh, enjoyed a delicious Rebels Red. Hand-delivered by the uh, voice of uh, the Red Deer Rebels. That would be Troy Gillard. Brought Andrew and I a uh, tasty Rebels Red over to our booth. Which, of course, we didn't drink on the air. But you can place your order online at troubledmonk.com shop. You can also go to your local liquor store if you're in Alberta. And if they don't have it, you can ask them to get Troubled Monk in stock for you. But if you want to pick up, you can uh, do so in three different areas. At the Tap Room in Red Deer or at the Bountiful Farmer's Market in Edmonton or the Calgary Farmer's Market in Calgary. You can place your order online at troubledmonk.com slash shop today's guest list and the order that we'll hear from them we're going to start with our ncaa campus report it's uh brad schlossman from the grand forks herald and the rink live covering the nchc and uh, with uh, basically everyone in that uh, conference uh i think denver is actually playing lindenwood this weekend outside of that i think they're pretty much uh, done for the 2022 calendar and lots to talk about, so uh, we'll begin the program looking at the NCHC with uh, Brad Schlossman. From there, 
conversation that I had with Kurt Hill during the Edmonton Oil Kings uh, teddy bear toss game as he uh, stopped by our booth in one of the intermissions, and uh, we talked to him about he was a former player in the WHL, what it was like as a player to go through a teddy bear toss game, and uh, obviously now as a GM, he's had a, uh, a year where he's had to make some tough choices, traded a bunch of players away, uh, also acquired a uh, pretty talented young American, 15-year-old American player, and uh, so we uh, touched base on where he is with uh, Conrad Fondrick. Uh, from that conversation with Kurt Hill, we'll have a 2023 draft spotlight. Luca Cagnoni is the defenseman with the Portland Winterhawks and having won a heck of a season for those Winterhawks. That's definitely a player you need to know uh, going into the 2023 NHL draft. And we'll close it out with another look at the upcoming draft. Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News is going to stop by. We're going to chat briefly about the World Junior A Challenge and uh, the CHL Top Prospect game. Uh, but we're also uh, getting a list from him, six guys he wants to talk about for the draft, and we'll do that to close out this week's episode. But we kick things off with an NCHC look with Brad Schlossman from the Grand Forks Herald. That's up first here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. Second unit on. Divine centering tip score! Rieger Lorenz, first collegiate goal, 1 0 Denver. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goal. He scores. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious man. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We're going to uh, begin this week's episode with an NCAA campus report. Of course, those brought to you by College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family, you need to know what you can and can't do to maintain your eligibility. Uh, get in contact with Mike Snee or anyone over at collegehockeyinc.com. All right, uh, as we uh, look at the NCHC this week and... Uh, my guest is Brad L.H. Schlossman from the Grand Forks Herald. Uh, Brad, I don't know if we've been this deep in the season or when the last time we've been this deep in the season and North Dakota was seventh out of an eight-team conference. Th- this seems very, very unusual to me. How's it look to you? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, they're definitely in a little unfamiliar spot. Um, conference-wise, it's, I, I don't want to, it, it's a little bit early. It's not super early, but it still is a little bit there uh, where they can, you know, play one weekend and be in, in third or fourth. So uh, the teams are really tightly packed. Uh, UND has had some years where they started slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have, especially under the, it felt like when Dave Haxall was the coach every year, they would start a little bit slow. They would catch fire in the second half of the season and go to the frozen four. Um, we'll see what happens with this team. I think the talent is there for them to go on a run. Uh, the question is, did they dig themselves too big of a hole in the first half? 
is is it because the conference itself is stronger? And, and listen, it's uh, the NCHC, and you could make a pretty good argument it's the best conference in college hockey, and there's not a lot of uh, nights that you can afford to take off. Eventually, it's going to come around where one team happens to be lower than they usually are. Is that the case, or is there something missing from uh, the Fighting Hawks? You know, I, I think it's this year it's more the case that they just haven't played as well as they're capable of playing. I, I think this team is a good team. I, I think they're one of the better teams in the league. Hmm. I, I I believe that by the end of the season, they will be moving up the standings. I, I you know the the big issue for them has been keeping the puck out of their own net. They've scored enough. Their special teams have been good enough, but they just give up way too many chances. And the the surprising part has been that. Almost all these guys, a large part of the team was there last year when this team went on a run at the end of the season and won the league. Uh, you know, Jake Sanderson has signed and moved on to the NHL, mm-hmm. but he was hurt when they went on that big run. He wasn't even playing. Had he been playing, I'd say, okay, well, Sanderson was doing a lot. They lost the best player in college hockey. That's probably why the D is taking a step back. But I've seen this exact decor be way better defensively. And last weekend they went to Western Michigan. They played the team that entered the weekend as the number one offensive team in the country, number one scoring line in the country, number one scorer in the country. They held them to two goals in two games. They shut them out on Saturday night. And it was kind of like, this is the team that I had expected to see all season long. Now we'll see if that team can show up in the second half that was in Kalamazoo last weekend. If it does, they're going to go on a run because I don't think it's a talent issue. I think they are good enough to go on a run and to be one of the best teams in college hockey. Uh, it just has taken longer for them to get there than I had anticipated. If the trouble is uh, keeping the puck out of their own net, as you described, is it team defensive play? Is it goaltending? Is it a combination of both? I, I think it's been a combination of both. And, and I'll even throw in when you talk about team defensive play, that the forwards haven't been good enough defensively. Okay. There are times when the, the, the F3 is not back in the spot he should be in, and they're going in uh, odd man rushes. I, I think the D have made way too many egregious turnovers, and I, I don't think the goaltending has been quite good enough yet. Um, you know, I, I think last weekend Drew DeRitter, the, the transfer from Michigan State, was excellent, and we've seen flashes of that. Uh, when North Dakota played Minnesota in those two games, I thought he was great in those games. Um, and, and now I think it's just getting a little more consistency. And I think that starts with the way the team defends in front of them. I, I think last weekend uh, may have been a sign that when they defend well, he looks pretty good. When you don't, problems occur. So, um, you know, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see if they can, you know, put that type of performance together. But no, I think the, the team defense and the goaltending needs to play like they did last weekend. I know that the at North Dakota, they've made use of the transfer portal for their goaltenders uh, this year and last year. Is it is that maybe something that uh, they would move away from and try to homegrown them again? I, I'm, to me, it seems like it's been a, a successful thing that they've done in the past. They've been able to uh, recruit yeah. good goaltenders. Uh, but maybe they've gone away from that. They seem to be bringing in vets from other teams here in the last couple of years. Yeah, you know, I think uh, 
you know, Adam Shield left. He could have come back for one more year. And and if Shield comes back, then all of a sudden he's the guy last season. But he leaves. In in the past, you that means you bring in a new freshman. And they have the option of bringing in a freshman who maybe they weren't expecting to bring in. Or mm-hmm. they can go and grab an accomplished guy. So they go and get Zach Driscoll. That ended up working out. You know, Driscoll had a little bit of a slow start, but last year in the second half, he was phenomenal. Um, and, and they won the league. And the big reason why they won the league was because he had a 935 save percentage the last two months of the year. Okay. Uh, ended up being an all-conference goalie. Um, you know, they, they have a guy committed in junior. He wasn't ready to come in again. So I think they went that route again and said, well, you know, he can play one more year junior. We can bring in another guy. So they ended up bringing in uh, Drew DeRitter this year from Michigan State. Um, you know, looking at the, there's a possibility they bring in a freshman next year. I, I also think there's a possibility they go back to the portal. They do have there's number two goalie Jacob Helston who has played a fair amount in the first half. He is a recruited guy. He, he was a freshman last season, sophomore this season. But right now it looks you know last year uh, Zach Driscoll took the reins. And this year, right now, it looks like Drew DeRitter is going to be the number one guy uh, starting the second half again. So I, I think, you know, I, I don't think it's uh, 100% that they're just going to sit here and go with all transfers. But, you know, I think that when that option presents itself and they have a really good one, that, that is a possibility they'll, they'll do. Brad Schlossman, my guest, uh, I noticed it, I don't know if this is unusual or not, but four of the top five scoring in, in Division One uh, uh, hockey right now are freshmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if that's unusual or if that's just a case of it's the high-end players uh, might be that way, but uh, it's uh, the same right now for North Dakota as well, being led by a, a freshman in uh, Jackson Blake. Uh, now, is this a surprise? Is he coming out of nowhere? I, I think as a whole for college hockey to have four of the top five scorers be freshmen is a surprise because of, uh, it, you know, everyone who played during the COVID year gets a fifth year. That did not count against their eligibility. Right. So right now you have college hockey that's older than ever and all these older veteran players. And so I think it's even harder than ever for freshmen to come in and make an impact uh, and to have all these guys producing is I think it's a little bit of a surprise, even though even though I know they're really good players. North Dakota, Jackson Blake, I watched a lot of the Chicago Steel last year, and I'm not surprised at all by what he's doing. I think he, you know, you could see he's just an unbelievably skilled player. He's extremely smart. He's one of the smartest hockey players uh, I've covered. He's one of the most creative hockey players I've covered. Um, he's the type that jumps off the page that, you know, you're casually watching. You're going to probably notice Jackson Blake. He, you know, he's the type that'll bring fans out of their seats at games. And, um, he's just a really exciting player to watch. And when he has the puck on his stick, you know, you just really don't know what, what's about to happen. He's, he's unpredictable. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, North Dakota got a really special player with Jackson Blake. Uh, then there's another freshman in Dylan James, who was a second-round pick uh, this past draft. Uh, on paper, it seems like he started slow, has kind of cooled down again, but in yeah. between he had about a seven- or an eight-game uh, run where it seemed like he was uh, starting to uh, play like himself again. Uh, how would you describe the year for for Dylan James? Yeah, I would say that's accurate. He, he started slow. It was an adjustment for him. 
uh, now he's getting into the lineup regularly. He's producing, you know, he has that speed burst that, you know, he really uses to his advantage. Um, Saturday night, you know, he sealed the game with an empty netter on the play that he just was faster than the Western Michigan, the two Western Michigan defenders. Um, and, and he's able to do that. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of last year when he went to the USHL and he was fine in the first half of the season. He was solid, but after Christmas, he really got comfortable and just took off. And so I, you know, that that's kind of been his history. And I'm curious if we're seeing that play out again, he's been fine. He's been more than solid for a freshman, but I still think that there's more we're going to see in the second half as he gets comfortable, because that's kind of been the story of his development and his career. All right, Brad, let's look at the rest of the conference. And, uh, well, of course, we got the defending national champions. They are still sitting in the number one spot. We're not used to seeing Minnesota Duluth where they are either. It seems like maybe there's a bit of a – we're turning the page from the, the big dominance uh, from the UMD Bulldogs and uh, maybe a bit of a rebuild for them. How would you describe the year for Duluth? Yeah, I, I think their issue is just uh, offensively. They don't score enough, uh, you know – I think some of the guys that uh, they expected to produce a little more haven't. So I, I do think there's a chance that they increase their production from the second half of the year. Um, what, what does Isaac Howard have? Like one goal right now? Yeah. One or two goals. He first round pick, like he's not going to go through the second half with only one goal. So he's going to produce a little more. You know, I think Blake beyond, he's a guy that could produce a little bit more in the mm-hmm. second half. Uh, you know, they, they came back with that beyond uh, James and uh, Quinn Olson line and uh, Dominic James centers that one and and they were really good last year and they were kind of started the season as the third third line and they were their best line all year they got moved up to the top line this year and it might be a challenge adjusting that now they're the ones with the targets on their back for every team and they're trying to shut them down so uh, they need to find a way to produce a little bit more offensively I think and um, but yeah, they're in they're in a pretty deep hole right now in, in the pairwise. And so a little surprised to see White Kaiser with only five points uh, at this point of the year as yeah. well. I, I thought there would be more production from him in what year three now. Yeah, you know what? When I watch him too, that that's kind of the takeaway I have. Even in past years, like I, I watch him and he looks really good. And at the end of the year, you look at your stats and you're like, "What, really?" Like, yeah. I, I thought he would have way more than that because he looks the part. Like he passes the eye test for sure. He is playing a ton of minutes for Minnesota Duluth. Uh, he might be top three in the country in average minutes per game. Wow! So he is getting tons of ice time. You know they've got Derek Dashke running their power play. That Miami transfer, so maybe that has a little bit to do with uh, the point thing. But uh, no, I I think he's a really good player and. Uh, I share your surprise that he doesn't have more points. It's another team that used the transfer portal for their goaltender, and it seems to be working out pretty well for them. Matt Thiessen coming over uh, from uh, from Maine uh, and uh, now as a senior. Well, the wins aren't there, but his stats look really good. and That that tells me it's just a team that can't score. Yes, that's what I think the issue has been. Uh, they've been on, you know, they've been shut out a couple times this year, but no, I... I think he has to be one of the big pleasant surprises for the Bulldogs this year. I, 
I kind of thought Zach Daskal would be the the starter, mm-hmm. and they're both playing. But right now, it looks like Tyson is is going to end up being the guy for them. And he didn't have an overly fantastic save percentage at Maine, so. Uh, for him to come in and do what he's doing uh, has to be a big lift for the Bulldogs. All right. Well, the uh, the two teams at the top, Denver and St. Cloud State, uh, both of them with over uh, 10 wins so far this year in overall play in the conference, they're the top two teams as well. Uh, when you've seen them, and I'm assuming that you've seen them uh, this year, do they look clearly like the best two teams, or uh, do you think things will change uh, in the second half? You know, I think Denver is, is going to be there all year. I, I think they're, they've got to be the heavy favorites to win the Penrose this year as NCHC champs. Uh, you know, I, I, I saw them come up here that honestly, the Friday night after watching that series, I, or Friday night game, I was thinking, eh, they're all right. I, I, I didn't think they were that good. Mm-hmm. And then Saturday night, they were really, really good. <laughs> so I, I think we saw that uh, their decor, they've got a lot of really good players. Um, they score enough. Uh, Magnus Corona has been really good. He, he played against Minnesota Duluth last weekend, and uh, that game went to overtime, and he made you know a couple of absolutely phenomenal saves that helped uh, uh, Denver uh, get the win there. So um, I, I think Denver is going to win the league. St. Cloud State's interesting. Right? You know, if you go into some of the um, – advanced analytics uh, they'll tell you that St. Cloud State's been overperforming right now Hmm. I I think they're a really good team they also have been boosted by phenomenal goaltending and that was the big question coming in for St. Cloud State Uh, they had Dominic Bassey who was really up and down at CC they have Jackson Castor who you know, hadn't done much at all at St. Cloud State because he'd been playing behind David Rennick. Mm-hmm. And I think that was an area most people thought that could be an issue for them. And they've had, you know, among the best safe percentages in the entire country. So, um, you know, can those guys keep that up? And if the answer is no, can St. Cloud State find other ways to pick it up? They've got a really good top line, uh, Mietnin, Cranola, and Okabe. Uh, their second line center, Grant Crookshank, they got out of the transfer portal from Minnesota, and he was previously at CC before that. He has been phenomenal for them. I think that's added a huge boost. And then the other, you know, big surprise to me is they got a defenseman named Dylan Anhorn out of the portal from Union, and he has been absolutely fantastic for them. So right now, their their transfers they hit big time on them. And that's helped them quite a bit. Uh, can they keep this up? I think they're definitely a top four team. Um, do I think they'll have the same winning percentage in the second half as they did in the first? Probably not. Uh, going back to Bassey for a second in net uh, for St. Cloud, you, you said he was really up and down with CC last mm-hmm. year, well, the last couple of years at Colorado College. Is it because mm-hmm. now he's got a better team in front of him that he seems to be more uh, balanced or I mean he's he's splitting time instead of playing almost every yeah. game does that change things or is, is he just a better goalie now to, to me I, I feel that he's just older and you know has become a better goalie like w- when he was at CC you would see flashes he would play games where you're like this guy is big time he absolutely stole this game and then the next game he'd let in a couple goals where you're like really wow like uh, so, so that's not happening anymore. 
Um, and, and sometimes, you know, go- goalie's a position that takes time for guys to develop. And it's probably the m- most unique development track of any position in hockey. And, you know, I think older guys, uh, it shows, and now he's starting to get older. So I think that probably has the biggest factor in it. I think he's probably just developed and, and, and learned a lot. Now, speaking of Colorado College, they're sitting third in the conference right now. And, and from the outside looking in, that's a bit of a surprise because we're not used to seeing them where they yeah. are right now. How are they getting it done? Yeah, I think Chris Mayotte, uh, their new coach there, has done a, uh, him and his staff have done a phenomenal job recruiting, and that's helped them out a little bit. See, the, the last two years, they were really young. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we're talking about all these teams that have fifth year seniors. I don't even know if they had any fourth-year seniors playing for them last year. Hmm. So they were pretty inexperienced. What Chris Mayotte decided he was going to do when he took over is he wanted guys that they could build with. That first year, he said they're only taking, you know, freshmen out of the portal. He didn't want to have one-year guys. He wanted to build this thing from the ground up. Last year, they were one of the only teams that took nobody out of the portal. So they're bringing in their freshmen and, you know, letting their veterans get older and it's worked. You know, I, I think they've got some pretty good players. Hunter McCown is a big, you know, power forward for them. I cannot believe nobody drafted him this year. He was still draft eligible. I believe Hmm. I thought last year he showed more than enough signs that he should be taken. And it actually kind of blew me away that nobody took a chance on him. He's a really skilled player. And now he started to, you know, add a little bit of that tenaciousness to his game. And that's been a big difference. So he's a big time player. Uh, Noah Leba from, uh, he played in the USHL last year. He's been he's a Rangers pick. He's been really good. And in their decor is finally starting to get older. And I think that's been a big part of it. And lastly, Caden uh, and Barico, yeah. uh, their, their goaltender, he's been great. You know, again, it's really hard for young goalies. And I thought he would have more growing pains than he's had. And that, that's been a big deal for CC to have him uh, kind of take the reins there and, and play as well as he has. Yeah, it seems like uh, for me, Amberico as a junior was an above average goaltender, but not necessarily someone that you thought was going to be yep. a star. And uh, here he's got a 927 yep. save percentage. Uh, and he's yeah. taken over the starting job. Uh, as as yep. a freshman, so that's pretty impressive. Uh, speaking of impressive uh, freshmen, uh, you go to uh, Western Michigan, and uh, you can see the uh, the top scorer in the country is Ryan McAllister, Canadian. So you know I got to bring him up. But oh yeah, thirty three points in twenty games. Uh, that's pretty unbelievable. Uh, what a season he's having, and he and his two line mates are well top ten in scoring. Yeah, you know I I think we're finding out right now why the Brooks Bandits were as dominant as they were. Um, Ryan McAllister, pretty good. TJ Hughes, pretty good. Yeah. Zach Bookman, pretty good. Like all these guys are, I, I think that was one of the questions, you know, uh, I had coming into this year was, okay, Brooks is really, really dominant. Um, the bottom teams in the AJHL, not great. Um, you know, exactly how good are they? Like, c- could I put up points on the Brooks bandits right, last year? Right. You know? Um, and, and I, I think what we're finding out is these guys are all legit because they're, they're playing great. And, uh, McAllister has been phenomenal for Western Michigan. He, 
He plays uh, wing on the line with Max Sass in the center and Jason Poland, a really good goal scorer on the right side. So, um, you know, to me, uh, McAllister has a, he's a pure goal scorer. He can, he can beat a goalie from beyond the dots. And he also has really good vision and can set up Poland, who's a, a great shooter too. So, um, he, he's been really good and, and that's been a, a big deal for Western Michigan. So is it the Christmas break now, or is anybody playing still between now and New Year's? Yeah, I think there will be a couple uh, games here and there, um, but essentially most teams are done until after Christmas now. North Dakota doesn't play until uh, they have an exhibition game on New Year's Eve against the U18s and and then get into regular season play the the week after that against Lindenwood. And I think a lot of teams are in the same boat now. But I I know there are a couple uh, games here and there. Um, I, I saw Bemidji State's playing uh, this upcoming weekend. I, I want to say they're playing Mankato. Um, but, uh, yeah, there will be a few games, but not much. All right. Well, Brad, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of the holiday season to you, and uh, we'll talk again, I'm sure, in the new year. Absolutely. Thanks, Guy. Here's Brad Elliott Schlossman from the Grand Forks Herald uh, covering the NCHC. does a great job there, as well as uh, the Rink Live where you can find his stuff, too. In a lot of ways, it seems like the standings are upside down from what we usually expect uh, from the NCHC, but then you've got Denver defending that national champions uh, sitting on top as well. So I think it's good to have a, a, a mix and that it's not the same teams every year that are uh, dominating. So good to see some, uh, some change uh, in the NCHC. And I'm sure, as uh, Brad mentioned, UND will be stronger in the second half. That We've seen that historically, as he mentioned out going back to the Dave Haxtell years. Next up on the Pipeline Show, we're going to uh, hear a conversation I had with the general manager of the Edmonton Oil Kings during the teddy bear toss game. It was during one of the intermissions before the teddy bear goal had been scored, but we were able to cover a lot of ground, a lot of different topics, including some of the trades, an interesting uh, American player that they acquired the rights to, and some other stuff as well. So uh, we're going to uh, hear that conversation when we come back, you're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. I'm Trey Fitzwilanski of the Edmonton Oil Kings. At his own blue line now, Fitzwilanski cutting in right circle, dances around his man to his backhand, forehand, he scores! Oh my goodness, Trey Fitzwilanski! What a move, what a shot, what a goal. Oh mama. And this is The Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. You have my curiosity. With Guy Flaming. Now you have my attention. Welcome back to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. 
Go to willockbeefjerky.com. Three Edmonton and area locations to pick up your beef jerky. But if you're in Western Canada, you can have it sent to you at willockbeefjerky.com. Last week, the Edmonton Oil Kings hosted the Red Deer Rebels on uh, Saturday, second half of a back-to-back home-and-home with the uh, arch-rival Red Deer Rebels. Well, it was Teddy Bear Toss night, and during the course of the evening, I had a chance to speak with the general manager of the Oil Kings, Mr. Kurt Hill. It was a busy week. In fact, the last couple of, uh, well, about six weeks have been pretty busy for the general manager. Uh, Last week, it was Logan Dowhaniak, a longtime career Edmonton Oil King who was uh, sent out to Moose Jaw. Uh, there were some other news and notes that we wanted to talk about as well. And I uh, wanted to ask him, uh, he used to play in the WHL. Had he gone through teddy bear toss uh, nights and things like that? So lots to cover with the GM of the Edmonton Oil Kings. That's Kurt Hill. Here's that conversation from this past weekend. Downtown Edmonton, the Oil Kings hosting the Red Deer Rebels. It is a packed barn tonight as uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings with the teddy bear toss, and I'm uh, pleased to be joined in our booth by the uh, president of hockey operations for the uh, Oil Kings, the general manager and uh, head popcorn vendor. you got so many titles, <laughs> Kurt. I don't know where to stop. Uh, it's great, though, isn't it, to have a packed barn like this? It's, uh, it almost feels like old times. Yeah, it certainly does. And, again, I know we were, I think, mid last week, we were kind of at that uh, 12,000 mark. So to see it up now over 15, it's pretty amazing, the support. And, you know, this has always been such a great uh, holiday tradition here in Edmonton. So you can see families getting right back in that groove. You've got a young team. We were kind of talking about it, Andrew and I. Does a big crowd like this have any sort of effect, positive or negative? I could I could imagine guys get amped up and their the adrenaline's rushing, but maybe they also get intimidated a little bit. Uh, what do you think? I think a little bit of both. I thought we, had, we were pretty sluggish early on, so I think... I mean, even when we had older teams, I will say in this game, everybody seems to grip the sticks a yeah. little bit tighter when they're getting to the net or they get an open shot and, you know, the excitement of the crowd, everybody getting on their feet to throw the Bears. So, you know, I think it's um, with a younger team, it can be a little bit intimidating, but I thought we settled in the second half of that period and uh, started playing a little bit better. The evolution of the Teddy Bear Toss game uh, throughout the Western Hockey League, it's been around for a while. You played in Teddy Bear Toss games uh, back in the day. Uh, w- w- give me the, the uh, year range when that would have been. Yeah, when, that you, when was, you were playing. Well, in Regina, we certainly had them. I don't remember in Kelowna, so Regina would have been 2006 to 2008. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and you didn't have them in Kelowna, but it, you were telling me a good story. Where was it? Swift? Yeah, we were in Swift one night, and I mean, back then our division was tight, and they were one of our rivals playing them two nights, two years in a row in the playoffs, and it was that night we had tennis ball toss night, and you know, they, they cut slits in the tennis balls. <laughs> you're supposed to put money in to donate them to charity, but... Yeah, so our, our bench was taking a beating, a pelting <laughs> that night once the, ten, the tennis ball started getting thrown. Throw them at the bench <laughs> instead of on the ice. Well, that's what you get with uh, rivals like that. You, you guys get some tips that night then. Oh, that was fantastic. <laughs> it was good. It's all in good fun, right? Uh, speaking of fun, I don't know how fun it is, but uh, as the general manager, you got to make some tough decisions. And uh, Logan Dowhanek, a, a longtime Oil King uh, that you moved out this week, uh, you get a nice player back in Nathan Pilling. He had a great debut last night, but... Uh, maybe just reflect on Dohanek's time as an oil king and making that call. Yeah, you know, five and a half years he was here with the organization from the time he got drafted till you know, halfway through his 20-year-old his season. So it's, uh, you know, a lot of these goodbyes this year haven't been easy there. Mm. It's, a, it's a tough part of the job, but, uh, you know, that's a situation we're in to uh, recoup draft picks and, and add a lot of good young players to our lineup. And, you know, when um, Moose Jaw lost Cole Jordan for the, for the year, um, their 20-year-old D, um, you know, they called and said that they had significant interest in Dohaniak, and I had been talking to some other teams, and 
you know, for us it was, you know, Nathan Pilling was going to be the guy that had to make it, that was going to have to be in the deal to make it happen. And, uh, you know, that once they agreed to that, that really intrigued our interest and to get the draft pick. I mean, that's important for us too. But, you know, Dohaniak, uh, his time here, I can't say enough positive things about him. I think he was probably one of the most, one of the unsung heroes of our team last yeah. year with that decor and being in that top four. He just, you know, he didn't, missed very many games he was steady and just when we had guys leaving for the world juniors and guys injured he was just always one of those the, the steady rock back there I, I should say and uh, yeah I would say probably one of the unsung heroes of that team last year is it fair to say now that you're probably on the outside looking in when it comes to the rest of the trade activity before the deadline in the WHL yeah I think so I, I again I don't know how many more big pieces are truly out there to be moved a lot of the a lot of the deals have happened already I'm sure there's going to be some that uh, people are going to couple more that people will expect a couple more that will surprise teams but uh yeah you know i guess at the end of the day if we can add any other young players now it's uh some of the draft collateral that we've added to if there's a younger player maybe that just gets pushed down the lineup because teams are loading up to go for it i think maybe that's kind of some of the stuff we'll be right. looking at a little bit more now if we can add uh you know a, a 17 or 18 year old player do you act do you actually have room for a 20 year old right now yeah we do have room for a 20 year old you know i wanted to we, we wanted to see how Kadu came and played i thought he played really well last night just adding that veteran presence you know he's over 170 games in the league he knows mm -hmm. what the league's all about so we're pretty confident he's going to be able to you know i know i don't know about totally fill the fill the void of dohaniak being moved but he can certainly play some pretty right. important minutes for us and yeah we're kind of at that stage now where um you know we could probably potentially use a 20 year old at all three positions so we're just kind of kind of see how we, we play here a little bit longer i think at some point we will probably add that player but the other thing is you don't want to jump on things too quick because i think around the deadline you know, maybe teams start upgrading 20-year-olds, and there right. could be a guy that ends up um, loose that uh, we really like. Uh, you made another deal, this one with the Kamloops Blazers, for a young player who's playing uh, south of the border right now, 15-year-old. Uh, Conrad Fondrick, I believe is uh, how it's pronounced. On paper, man, this kid looks like he's the real deal. I mean, he's putting up massive numbers at the, uh, at the uh, where is he? Is that, uh, Mount St. Charles Mount Academy. St. Charles. Yep. Uh, which is a really good academy down south. Uh, where are you at with the situation with him? Uh, obviously, it didn't work out for Kamloops. They weren't able to uh, to convince him to come up. Um, you obviously have confidence that, that you can do it. What's the next step? How do you go about introducing the WHL to this guy? Yeah, well, I think it, it, we've we've already have introduced the league to him. Like he was a player we were really considering with that first pick when we picked Fiddler. Like he was Fiddler was the D that was you know the right shot six two D that's you know almost too good to be true wants to play in the league 100 percent right. you can't pass up on that opportunity and you know if we were going to pick a forward it would have been conrad fondrick so we were going through the process with them on educating them with the league and you know they were very receptive of it we had an opportunity to meet the family meet the kids so it's uh, you know we were kind of along in that process and then obviously cam loops takes them in in the draft and and they were having good conversations too it's uh you know at the end of the day i think they were just trying to recoup some more assets to to try to add this year when they when they do for the cup and um you know now at this point we've had conversations again with uh, the advisor and the family and you know i think the next stages are is for myself and michael to get down to mount st charles watch them and meet them in person and play which um is obviously really important and then we do have plans in uh, february for him um, and his family to come up here and see uh, see a game here and see what uh, you know the oil kings are all about. Nice. Uh, lastly, I guess when you're talking to Americans, not necessarily this kid in particular or specifically, but to introduce the league to an American family who's probably thinking NCAA as they grow up because that's the natural path in a lot of sports, not necessarily for hockey. What is the biggest challenge to get them interested in to kind of win them over? Yeah, I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's... Um, 
every family's a you know a little bit different. You know, you run into you know some American families just have have college roots. Their fathers played college hockey. They've just that's naturally been the path that they've right. always known. So those ones are probably the biggest uphill battles. I would say that you're going to fight and. A lot. Oftentimes, you're not going to even have an opportunity, and then sometimes you have some American kids down there that, uh, you know, they maybe their mom or dad is from Canada, and that opens up a little bit more of a door for you where they have more familiarity with the league. And then there's just players that are so elite, like a Conrad Fondrick, that, you know, we we produce so many players that move on to the National Hockey League that when you're that elite, you can come to this league and have success at 16 and 17 right away. You know, I think that's where there's it really spikes some of their interests. And, you know, you look at guys that have come up to the league and played in Portland or even the Robertson that went to the OHL, the brothers there that have had success yeah. and are signing, you know, multi-million dollar contracts now. Um, those are some of the stories that you really need to lean on. And, you know, it's not for everybody. Some people want that longer runway of being able to play, you know, maybe junior in the USHL for a little bit and then five years of college and maybe make make try to get to pro hockey when they're 23, 24. But at the end of the day, if, you know, some of the guys that play in the CHL, at 23 or 24, that's when they're signing their big ticket contracts. Right. And at 23, 24, you're just an entry level. You know, you're kind of starting that opportunity to make money a little bit yeah. later in your career. So if you're that elite and you come here and you, you're betting on yourself a little bit at the end of the day, you need to have swagger, you need to have confidence right. in yourself to come here and be able to succeed. Well said, Kurt. Appreciate you stopping by. Uh, let's hope we get to uh, see a goal here early in the second period. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, he didn't get a goal in the second period. It took until the third period for Edmonton to score, but score they did, and uh, we were able to have some fun with that call. I don't know if uh, if anybody listening right now or heard what we did for a teddy bear toss call, but uh, we, we like to try to do something fun every year uh, and make it sort of what's happening in pop culture or what's happening in real life and kind of spin it into a, a fun call. Uh, this year... The night before the Teddy Bear Toss game, Argentina and the Netherlands were playing in the World Cup uh, game, and there was a call from the Dutch broadcaster when uh, Holland scored their second goal, and it was one of those, goal, and it just went on forever, and then he took a breath and did it again. So that's what I did that night uh, for a Teddy Bear Toss. You can probably find that in the recap, uh, the video for the Teddy Bear game against uh, Red Deer. That would have been uh, last Saturday, 10th of December. Anyway, lots of interesting uh, tidbits there, especially uh, at the end with uh, Conrad Fondrick, uh, who they picked up from the Kamloops Blazers. Fondrick having just a massive season. He's not a big player. 5'9", 150 pounds. Now he's only 15 years old. Uh, comes from just outside of uh, St. Paul. Last year had 108 points in 58 games. He had 58 goals in 58 games last year playing at Mount St. Charles. This year he's got 51 points in just 26 games. And already uh, 27 goals this season. So for whatever reason, Kamloops and uh, Fondrick weren't able to come to terms. He was their first round pick in the uh, U.S. prospect draft in 2022. Will the Oil Kings have any more luck? Uh, I put out some feelers. I'm hearing that the Chicago Steel out of the USHL uh, are after him as well. Could, I suppose, potentially play for the U.S. National Development Program. But we'll see. Interesting that he's going to come up in February and take in a, an Oil King game. Obviously, the Oil Kings are struggling this year, but if it's a weekend game and they get a crowd, the atmosphere will be pretty cool. Maybe we'll have him on the broadcast. Not sure if we're allowed to uh, or not, but we'll see. Interesting player. No question about that. Conrad Fondrick. And what Kurt had to say at the end there about you know talking to families south of the border and, and educating them on what the uh, WHL is all about and what it has to offer. 
you know, I don't know how much people in the United States know about the WHL scholarship package. You know, you play one game in the WHL in a season, it automatically qualifies you for a year of tuition and books at a, a post-secondary institution of your cho- choosing. You know, hypothetically, a guy like Fondrick or anyone from Minnesota, they could play three, four, five years in the WHL and have three, four, or five years of education covered at the University of Minnesota if they wanted to. You could not be playing at all and just focusing 100% on studies if you wanted to. A lot of players will take university courses while they're still playing in the WHL as 19 or 20-year-olds. Start making use of their uh, scholarships. We'll see. And uh, I, Selfishly, I hope uh, the Oil Kings have success bringing uh, Fondrick in. All right, next up on the Pipeline Show, we're going to turn on the 2023 Draft Spotlight, get to know another player eligible for the upcoming NHL Draft. For this one, we're, we're heading to Portland. Defenseman Luca Cagnoni, he's a uh, British Columbia native who is having a fantastic season with the Winterhawks. Let's get to know Luca next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, this is Cody Glass from the Portland Winterhawks. Gets the draw. Glass walking towards the net. He scores! First period hat trick. It's natural from Cody Glass. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. You know, I hear the camera adds 10 pounds. Looks like you've eaten five cameras. Back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, but if you're in Western Canada, you don't have to make the drive into one of the three Edmonton area locations. You can order it online at their website at wilhockbeefjerky.com. Uh, my next guest is from Western Canada, but uh, playing in Oregon right now, draft-eligible player, as we turn on the 2023 NHL Draft Spotlight, and we get to know Luca Cagnoni from the Portland Winterhawks. Uh, Luca, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm great. Uh, it's good to be here. <laughs> well, I appreciate you making time like this. Uh, you guys are playing some pretty good hockey. Uh, you look at the standings, and everyone can see it's kind of a two-horse race right now at the top of the Western Conference with yourselves in Seattle, uh, but you guys sitting in first place. I think you'd have to be pretty happy with the way things have gone so far this year. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked. I mean, we have a, I think we have a pretty solid team this year. And obviously, with Seattle getting some new guys in their roster, it's always a challenge uh, playing them. But I think we're doing a really good job, and we're, uh, we're competing really well against every team in the division. Before we get much further, when you and Seattle play, every once in a while you do the color versus color. So it's uh, both teams are wearing their, their dark jerseys. From a, a broadcaster's perspective and a fan's perspective, I think it looks awesome. As a player, does it matter to you at all what jerseys you guys are wearing? Do, do you do you like those games, or does it matter? Uh, for me, it doesn't really matter, but uh, I think they're always fun too. You know, two like solid colors going against each other. But sometimes, if we're wearing our blacks and we're they're wearing their blues, which doesn't happen, but yeah, it's a little confusing at sometimes. That's why we kind of go red and blue. So 
when it's like that, I really don't mind. I think it's cool. Yeah, I think I think they look great. That's why you guys. I, th- I think that's why you got brought the uh, Reds back, but uh, they look pretty terrific. All right, uh, Luca Canyoni is my guest here with the Portland Winter Hawks this year. Uh, as we're speaking right now, twenty six points in twenty eight games. Uh, last year, uh, you yeah, were uh, thirty six points in sixty three games. So you're well beyond your scoring pace from last year. Does that surprise you at all, or did you kind of expect this sort of offensive season from yourself? Yeah, obviously, I, I kind of put that pressure on myself in the summer. It was like I always wanted to beat the next season, and I think obviously being on power play one this year and mm-hmm. like kind of being like that offensive defense and I myself that it's just going to come just by playing the right way and stuff like that. I'm uh, pretty happy with the first start of the season. Well, so that was my next question. Is it about opportunity, or is it just you know you're you have another year under your belt and Everybody usually takes a step forward. Maybe it's a combination of both. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it is. Uh, obviously, having another year under uh, my belt, it, it brings the confidence up every year, knowing that you can play in this league. So it makes it a little bit easier just to play the right way, and then playing the right way obviously translates the, the points and stuff like that. Luca, who's your defensive partner this year, or has that changed uh, throughout the course of the season? I've played with... Uh, Merrick Alter a little bit, and but my main one right now is Carter Souther, and he's a he's a big guy, so it uh, works out pretty well. All right, so, so is that combination, you know, you're not that big of a guy, and he's a big guy. Does that uh, lead to that chemistry in some regard? Yeah, I think so. I think it's obviously it's uh, both both of our draft years too, so we we kind of get along really well even off the ice. So obviously it translates right to to on the ice, and I think. We work uh, really well together. Is that something you guys talk about much? Uh, that it is both your your NHL draft year? Uh no, not really. Like when we're uh, when we're away from the rink and we're not on the ice and stuff like that, we we keep it like just talking about like well, like the high school and stuff like that. So okay. We try to keep it fun and not hockey related. All right, uh, Luca Canyoni is my guest uh, defenseman with the Portland Winterhawks. I was telling you before we started, Luca, the, the pipeline shows a junior in college hockey show. Uh, so my regular audience will know about you and about the Winterhawks uh, and follow the WHL, but there'll be a lot of casual NHL fans who listen to this segment, uh, not because you're a, a Portland Winterhawk, but because you're a high-profile NHL draft prospect. Uh, so for the benefit of that segment of the audience, maybe let's start at the beginning. Uh, tell me where you grew up. Yeah, I grew up in uh, Burnaby, BC. Do you remember how old you were when you first started playing hockey, and who got you interested? Oh, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a weird story in a way, but... Uh... I think it was my dad. He he would always bring us to free skates at a a local rink. And one day, I was just like, I really want to skate today. And usually before that, I would just lie on the ice and not do anything. But uh, that one day, I really wanted to go out. And ever since then, I think I was like two and a half. And then I just started playing hockey after that. Well, that's interesting. Uh, and have you always been a defenseman, or did you uh, start at other positions or try other positions along the way? Uh from what my point, I've always been a defenseman. Any particular reason? Just felt right? Just felt comfortable? Yeah, it just felt comfortable for me. And yet you're an offensive guy. At least that's the way it looks on, on paper. Do you see yourself as that classic offensive-minded defenseman? Uh, yeah, I believe so. But at the same time, I I still take care of my D zone. I still take pride in the way I play defense. Kind of have to, don't you? It's uh, part of the job description as being a defenseman. Yeah. Is it? Uh, not that it's uh, 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 the the boring side of the job, but it's it's a different challenge or a different perspective to to concentrate on your back end when you maybe your natural instincts are, are to be an offensive guy. Does it ever pose a a challenge for you? Uh, obviously, 
like we always want to play in the offensive zone and stuff like that. But for me, like in order to get there, you got to play good defense and that just kind of translate into ozone time. So I don't think it really like brings me back or anything. Like I always felt like I play pretty solid defense and stuff like that. Right. Well, and even back at the Burnaby Winter Club, you were an offensive minor guy. Take me back to the uh, the WHL Bannon draft and, and uh, what that event or what that day was like for you. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, not a drafted player. Yeah, that's uh, that's correct. Uh, I played Bannon prep there. Uh, Leland, coach, Leland Mack was my coach there. And uh, it was a great year. He kind of brought me like to that offensive-minded player that uh, I kind of grew up into. He gave me like the confidence and he gave me like the, the power play time and stuff like that. And that kind of translated for like the rest of my career in a way. So it was a great year there. And uh, sometimes I guess it just doesn't go your way, but I'm happy to be where I am in Portland right now. At that point, did you know that WHL was still where you wanted to go or were you starting to question maybe you'd have to uh, start looking at the college route? Uh, obviously, like, like when you don't get drafted here, your instincts kind of, lead to the NCAA route and stuff like that but I kind of just stuck with it and I think I knew I wanted to be in the WHL and it paid mm-hmm. off well tell me about getting connected with the, with Portland how did uh, the Winterhawks come into the picture for you did they just list you at right after the draft uh, what was the timing of that yeah, yeah they kind of listed me like I think it was our first tournament of the season in my E15 year I kind of I got listed and it was kind of just like go through the season they would you know, talk to me, their scouts would talk to me and stuff like that. But, and then I, I, uh, I signed at the end of the year, but it was during like the COVID times and stuff right. like that. So it was a bit of a tougher time at that point. Cause we got our, our playoffs canceled and stuff like that. And obviously the WHL is so, but it was, I was very happy to get signed here and stuff like that. Well, you got to play the entire season last year and also 10 games the, the season previous to that. And I wonder how important just that 10 game sort of dipping your toe in the WHL water uh, how important that was for you to have such a good year last season. Yeah, it was it was honestly huge. Uh like without that I don't think I would have been as as uh as confident on the blue line and stuff like that if I didn't have those ten games. It was just a little like tip uh dipping my toe in the water and it it was great. So I'm very glad that I got that opportunity. Well, it's a big year for yourself. The the NHL draft uh, ahead. You you've been named to the CHL top prospect game. Uh what did that uh, mean for you just uh, I'm sure it was something that you were hoping for this year but to, to get that call or however you're notified I must have felt pretty good yeah it was a it was a big goal for me at the at the beginning of the year but I couldn't really control anything except for the way that I played so I kind of only focused on how I was playing and stuff like that and then it kind of just took me to that great news I got getting the opportunity to play in a showcase event like that it, I mean it must be maybe a little nerve wracking, but also exciting at the same time. It's just over a month away, but it's going to be full of guys uh, in the same uh, position that you are, and you're going to want to stand out. Uh, how do you uh, view that opportunity? Yeah, obviously I'm going in there with a lot of excitement, uh, obviously a little bit nervous because it is you're on TV and stuff like that, so you always want to play your best, but I'm just going to go in there and just play the way that I can. For those who haven't had a chance to watch you play, and I'm fortunate that I have uh, been able to see you play this year, uh, but for those who haven't, how do you describe yourself as a player? What should they expect when they tune in and watch a Winterhawks game and uh, and uh, Luca Cagnoni's on the ice? Yeah, I'm a, I believe I'm an elite skater with a really, really high uh, IQ on the ice, and I, I'm a playmaker, but I still have a pretty elite shot. And, uh, yeah, just smooth skating, and that's it, yeah. 
172 pounds is the sheet I'm looking at, but that might be out of date. Uh, what are you at now? Uh, I still believe I'm 5'10", but I'm closer to 180 now. Okay. You're about to uh, turn 18. you got a week before your uh, your 18th birthday, December 21st. Uh, have you topped out height-wise, or do you think there's still a little bit of growth there to come? Uh, I still think that there's a little bit to come, personally, but I know obviously that's the, the hope a little bit, but I'm happy with what I'm at right now, just getting stronger and stuff like that's kind of my main focus. I know uh, when it comes to the draft, uh, I, I'll ask players uh, that I have on the show whether they care about the rankings or not, or some guys tell me they don't want to think about rankings or think about the draft because it could be a distraction. But there are other players who tell me that they want to know where you know Central Scouting has them ranked or Sportsnet or TSN or whoever it is, uh, and they use that as motivation. What about for you? Uh, honestly, I don't pay too much attention to that because there's so many, so many lists that come out and it's always, it's always different. So I really just focus on like just how I play and, and giving the, uh, the coaches like what they want on the ice, playing the right way and stuff like that. And then, hope, then I just hope that, uh, it translates to those rankings and stuff like that, but I don't really pay attention to them. Yeah, that's, that's about it. We talked about your style of game that you, you, uh, see yourself playing. Are there areas of your game that you you know you need to focus on more before you can be ready to to take that next step? Uh, I still think that I could probably improve a bit in, in my D zone. I still think that that's like one big thing. Obviously, being a little bit of a smaller guy when you're going against bigger guys, I it is like a little bit harder. But I feel like for I've handled myself this year a lot better than last year. So it's every summer you kind of get stronger and stuff like that, and every year like you know what they do. So I think. That's probably the uh, the only part. Going down to Portland, I don't know what what you knew about the area before you got there, uh, or what the you know the hockey community would be like. What's it like playing in Portland from a uh, from your perspective as a guy coming from Western Canada? Oh uh, yeah, honestly, I think Portland's a little bit like Vancouver in a way. It's uh, kind of a bigger city. It's got a nice downtown area, uh, good crowds most of the nights, and actually like last. I think it was Saturday against Seattle. We had a sold-out crowd, which was great on our teddy bear toss night. So nice. it's a great atmosphere, and obviously, like the the team here and stuff like that is is incredible. So yeah, I'm super happy. Pretty passionate fan base, right? And, and pretty knowledgeable. I know it, it maybe a little bit lost in the uh, in the hockey uh, environment there in Portland because I know college football is such a big thing, and, and you got the Portland Trailblazers. But the fans that come out are pretty passionate. Yeah, they are. They're very passionate. They always, uh, they're always into the games and stuff like that. But yeah, with having the Trailblazers, uh, like uh, arena, kind of right across from us, it's a little bit of a battle sometimes. But <laughs> we have pretty good crowds. And you never get to play at Moda Center anymore, right? The Winterhawks. I know the the team used to kind of go back and forth between the two rinks, uh, but uh, not anymore. Uh, not for this year. I, I don't believe. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, uh, before I let you go, uh, being a, a lower BC mainland guy, uh, Vancouver Canucks, your team growing up, or were you cheering for another club behind enemy lines there in Vancouver? Oh, uh, no. I was, uh, I love the Canucks when I was growing up. They had the Sedins and Bieksa, and, uh, they, I thought they were a great team back then, but I always will think that they're a good team, even though, uh, they struggle sometimes. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, look, listen, I appreciate your time, man. Best of luck the rest of the way this year and at the uh, top prospect game. And whatever happens to the draft, I hope we can chat again. Yeah, thank you for having me. Luca Cagnoni from the Portland Winterhawks. The WHL has a lot of draft-eligible forwards of note. Well, he is uh, one of the top defensemen 
out of the Western Hockey League this year that is uh, gaining a lot of buzz as the season continues to go forward. We'll have to watch to see uh, where he and the Winterhawks end up this year. Great battle, great race at the top of the not just the U.S. division, but the Western Conference in the Western Hockey League. We've got one more segment to go, and we're going to look at uh, the CHL Top Prospect game briefly and uh, a number of guys for the 2023 NHL Draft as we uh, speak with Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News. He's up next via the Troubled Monk Hotline. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. My name is Klim Kostin from Team Russia. Trying to drop it back. That was Klim Kostin. Read the play and intercepted for Russia. Pavel Konikov. Shots off the skate, goes to Kostin, Russia scores. It bounced right to Klim Kostin, and it's time. This is The Pipeline Show. from Buford loves Wilhawk beef jerky. My husband is an expressive <gasps> fan, prone to waving his arms about, which is unfortunate for those next to him. And the snacks. Do you know how hard it is to get salsa out of carpet? It was a miracle when I found Wilhawk beef jerky. No more crushed chips strewn about or toppled dips. A fistful of jerky can be waved about with little mess to clean up later. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. Tell me his name again. With Guy Flaming. Who? Back on the Pipeline Show, and it's the final segment for uh, this week's episode. And we're going to look at the uh, upcoming CHL Top Prospect game as well as the uh, 2023 NHL Draft uh, with Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News. Uh, but quick reminder the Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Their website is wilhockbeefjerky.com. W I L H A U K beefjerky.com. All right, Tony. Uh, let's get right to it because the uh, the top prospect game was announced uh, what about a week ago I suppose maybe a little less than that uh, the uh, the names are out there it seems like fans are pretty happy with the list uh, were there any glaring omissions for you or are you on board with this one too no I think I'm mostly on board with it I think the the only name that I really think is kind of missing is maybe Denver Barkey from the London Knights but that's as a, that's just because that's a guy I think really deserves to be there as a as a as an OHLer especially with some of the other OHLers listed. But for the most part, I think they did a really good job this year of getting the right guys there. Well, as a guy based in Ontario, um, I don't know if you're actually making the trek out to Langley to take in the game or not, but who are you looking forward to seeing in an environment like this where it's all the best guys of their uh, draft class uh, out of the Canadian Hockey League, at least, uh, playing together? Um, Because there might be some guys who are kind of on a team by themselves, but uh, they'll be surrounded with some uh, talent here that they aren't normally. Uh, Anybody like that come to mind? Uh, It's going to be interesting to see a guy like Callum Ritchie or even a guy like Cam Allen from Ontario. Uh, Just two guys that have really struggled to start the year after having a lot of high hopes. Both of them were kind of coming into the year as top 10 or even top 15 picks. And both have fallen down draft boards quite a bit. And a lot of it, I do think, has to do with the fact that both their teams have underperformed even the expectations that they had. So it, it's going to be really interesting because both those guys, I think, probably have more talent than, than what they, we've seen this year. But the environment they're in just isn't all that great. Callum Ritchie was one of them. Who was the other fellow? Uh, and the other one was uh, Cal Ritchie and uh, Cam Allen. Cam Allen. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. 
I know we're going to get to a list of guys for the uh, draft that we want to chat about uh, before we do. Uh, goaltenders that are invited to the top prospect game, is there one that you think stands above the crowd, or is this an event where a guy can maybe separate themselves from the pack? Uh, it's definitely going to be a, one where they can kind of separate themselves from the pack. I don't think any goalie in, the, in Canada, at least, has really been all of that impressive in terms of being able to kind of separate themselves from everything and be the guy in this draft class. I think it, it's been really interesting because you've seen a couple of European guys get there and a couple of European guys showcase their game a little bit more. But there are a few guys. I think a guy like Carter Bjarnson at West and, and Scott Rathoff at West are definitely going to be really interesting to watch. And then... Uh, and then in the OHL, you got Charlie Robertson, who has played really, really well for North Bay throughout the year. So it's going to be interesting because the goalies are always kind of a crapshoot, yeah. especially in a one-game sample. All right, perfect. Well, that's uh, something to watch for at the CHL Top Prospect Game. January 25th, uh, it will be held in Langley, BC, the home of the Vancouver Giants. All right, now I asked you for a list of guys that uh, you've got your eye on for the uh, 2023 NHL draft. We'll do them alphabetically on the six guys that you sent me. Uh, that means we start with Zach Benson of the Winnipeg Ice. Uh, and one thing I noticed about the six guys, four of them I would consider small or uh, at average size at best. Uh, two guys with some size, but I wonder if uh, maybe size doesn't matter nearly as much because some of these guys probably 15 years ago might not have been drafted at all or it would have been mid to late round picks. Uh, Zach Benson, though, has the skill definitely. Uh, listed at 5'10", about 160-ish pounds. Uh, you like him uh, really early in this draft, I would guess. Yeah, Zach Benson's a guy that I'm a huge, huge fan of. Like you said, 10, 15 years ago, a few of the guys on this list that I gave you probably wouldn't be in consideration for the first round. But a guy like Zach Benson, I think, at least would have got, garnered some attention just because of the way he plays the game. He plays so smart, so positionally sound. He anticipates play at a level that is unlike basically any other player in this draft class, both with and without the puck. And I think that's the big key. The WHL has tons of talent, Guy, as you know. You've seen them all come through down this year. And Jack Benson's one of the guys that I think has kind of separated himself from the pack a little bit. He's in that upper tier right after Connor Bedard, who's obviously in a tier of his own. But you've got Zach Benson and guys like Andrew Cristal as well, showcasing all that offensive firepower, showcasing the intellect that they have in their game. And Zach Benson, in my opinion, is probably the top guy after uh, Connor Bedard. Why is size not an issue for uh, Zach Benson? He's just so smart about how he positions his body in board battles. He understands how to kind of get around the ice without letting his body uh, impede himself. You look at a guy like Mitch Marner in the NHL, not a huge guy. He's grown up to be about six feet now. But when he first came into the league, he was 155, 160 pounds, where Zach Benson's at now. And he wasn't really physically dominant by any means. But he understood where to position his body and the awareness of where everyone else is on the ice. You're not seeing a guy like Mitch Marner or a guy like Zach Benson getting blown up very often because they have that awareness of, hey, this big guy's on the ice. I know I need to keep my head up. He's not a guy that plays with his head down and worries about it. You see even a guy like Euro Slavkovsky, last year's first overall pick, we've seen him get blown up a few times because he's been so used to having to being able to keep his head down and, and plow through guys and be that bigger guy. With a smaller player, especially a guy that is smart as Zach Benson, he knows he has to keep his eyes up and keep 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 his uh, mind on who's on the ice. Zach Benson on pace for over 100 points this year and probably is going to reach that because of the Winnipeg Ice don't lose anybody for the World Junior Championship, at least not for Team Canada, uh, because uh, a little bit surprisingly, uh, none of them uh, made the final roster. So uh, they got a loaded team uh, headed through the uh, over the next month when a lot of other clubs will have to do without guys. 
uh, Zach Benson. Uh, then from there, we'll go alphabetically and Gavin Brindley, who is playing for the University of Michigan with the Wolverines, uh, a, a top heavy team. And he's probably the, the, one of the top guys of that next tier, uh, playing for the Wolverines. But, uh, at 10 points in 20 games, nothing to sneeze at as a, a freshman. Uh, again, not a big guy, 5'9, about 160 pounds. Uh, what do you like about him? Well, he's a guy that I think is probably more of a fringe first rounder on a lot of NHL boards, maybe an early second rounder. And it has to do with the fact that he's so process oriented. There's, there's something about a guy that just knows what to do and where to be on the ice, the four checker away from the puck and kind of be that nuisance in the neutral zone. And like I said, Gavin, like like you said, Gavin Brindley isn't a big guy. And and he is a guy that does have to work on being a little bit more strong, like being a little bit stronger along the boards, being a little bit stronger, in terms of just being able to handle the, the college game, let alone the NHL game. But he has that in, intellect. He, that's what I always go to, the processing speed. And he's a guy that is a pass on the forecheck. When, when the other team has a puck, he's constantly hunting them down, looking to lift sticks, looking to get in under their hands and, and get the puck back. And he's not trying to keep the puck on his stick too long. He's not going to be a guy that's going to go out and try to make the hero play, but he understands how to advance play in positively. He's not racking up the points this year, but he's been doing so many positive things for Michigan. Well, and a freshman, 18 years old. He's a late 04, so he was uh, missed last year's draft by about three weeks. But uh, to be able to uh, not just contribute, but you know, hold he's above his head's above water here at the NCAA level as an 18 year old. That alone is pretty impressive. Yeah, that's just it. At the NCAA level, I think it's becoming so much more of a a realistic option for kids in the United States and Canada, where. The CHL path isn't the only path anymore. We're seeing so many more kids go that NCAA path. And I think for a guy like Gavin Brindley, who's probably going to be spending a couple of years there after his draft year, which is this year, that's a great path for him. It lets him work on getting stronger, works on letting him, getting, letting, letting him get used to those stronger players. And it allows him to not focus on playing four times a week going forward. It gives him two games a week, three games a week, and, and kind of, Work on that on the off ice conditioning. Work on that strength in the gym and everything, which is called which college teams are really really well suited for. Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News is my guest. Uh, looking at the 2023 NHL draft, uh, we I asked you for a list of six guys. Alphabetically, the next guy on the list is Leo Carlson, who uh, is going to be one of the uh, very early players taken uh, in the draft, and uh, not a small guy, six three and closing in on two hundred ish pounds. Uh, lots to like about Leo Carlson, but uh, tell me why he's ranked so heavily for you and for everybody else, too. Yeah, Leo Carlson's a guy on my board in the top three right now. I absolutely love the way he's able to blend skill, power, and strength in his game. And he has a speed element as well. He's not necessarily going to be a burner by any means, as most 6'3 players aren't. But he's a guy that, outside of Adam Fantilli, I think, has that ability to deke and dangle a defender and then put them on his back and still power towards the net. He's got the skill and the power elements to his game that allow him to be an elite power forward. And I think he's going to be a guy that we look at in a few years and go, man, if it wasn't for, for Bedard, if it wasn't for Fantilli, he could have been a first overall pick in, in a lot of draft years, especially going back to the last couple. And, and Leo Carlson does so many things well. He's scoring at a rate that's similar to Marcus Nasland and Nicholas Backstrom in the, in the SHL right now. And he's doing so many things. And th- there's just all this skill to his game and these elements of finesse that you don't necessarily see from most 6-3 forwards. And he has the, the pace and the speed and the processing to do it as well. And on the defensive side of the puck, he, he does a pretty good job as well. So 
he's a mature player that I, I really like to see that in his game as well. Another late 04, but he doesn't turn 18 until Boxing Day. So this is a guy, a young guy who is doing it at the SHL level and did it last year there too, nine points in 35 games. So he would have been 16 years old at this time last year and having that sort of production. That's that's really, really impressive. Yeah, he honestly, even though Bernard is as special as he is and until he's playing the NCAA, Leo Carlson might be the most pro-ready player in this entire draft class. I think we've seen him play in the SHL for now two years, like you said, and he's been successful at the, the SHL level. He's not a guy that has been worried about getting minutes because he's playing both sides of the puck and allowing coaching staff to trust him. So I think this is a guy that could make the jump next year if, he, if the team wanted him to. But if he gets one more year in the SHL after this one and then comes over, he, he might be a force as soon as he gets there. Only had three points at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. But is, was that a surprise and was that disappointing? I, it was a little bit disappointing, but it's like one of those things where you can't take too much out of a seven-game tournament or a five-game yeah. tournament. Yeah. I, I always worry about that with the World Juniors as well, which is why I like to try to get my draft board out before that because the the World Juniors, the Holinka, they can influence you so much based on the short performance. So I, I like to take a breather before really diving back into that tape and going, okay, why did they only have two points or three points in that, that span? Tony, you have a Slovakian forward uh, listed here as well. Uh, again, not a big guy, 5'10", about 180-ish pounds, though, so a little bit more of a fire hydrant than uh, some of the other guys we've chatted about. Uh, I'm probably going to butcher the name, but Alex Chernik, I- I'm not sure if that's uh, correct or not, but uh, why does he factor in here uh, on your list of six? Yeah, you nailed the name, and I think the, the thing with his game that I love is there's so much speed to it, and there's so much uh, pro readiness. I think he, he does a really good job of understanding where he needs to be on the ice and playing with an incredible pace, high speed. The, the biggest fault I have on his game is sometimes you, you want him to go and, and dial it back a little bit. You can't be in, in the fourth gear of the entire game, and he loves to try to just keep it pushing and keep going, put on the gas and, uh, and not taking the, hitting the break at all. So that's something that you'd like to see him kind of alter as he goes forward, but the speed, the skill, the process is all there. You just want to see him kind of learn to adapt to what he's seeing on the ice a little bit more because this kid does a lot of really good things at the pro level, and he's already got pro-level traits. And and I think that's something we don't always account for, especially with some of these European kids playing pro hockey already. Plays for Slovakia internationally, but uh, he's been playing in Sweden for the last five or six years at least. Uh, I wonder if that's been something that's been a a positive uh, decision on his part. Is that does that help a guy rather than playing in Slovakia? I know the, the junior and, and uh, lower lo- pro levels, they're not equal to uh, what they have in Sweden. So probably a good decision for him. Yeah, for sure. I think anytime you can get to one of the, the better leagues in the world, and I think Sweden outside of the United States and Canada has some of the best leagues in the world, along with Finland and Russia even. And Sweden's been an extremely stable league for producing NHL talent. So him going over to Sweden, playing playing over there and, and working his way and playing multiple levels there, I think, was a big thing for him, too, because they, the Swedes do play a very process-oriented game. They understand what it takes to play at the pro level, and they still push the speed and skill element as well, which I think is really fun because the, the pro level in Finland, as much as I love it because they do play such a pro-ready game, they kind of pull back on that speed and skill, whereas Sweden pushes forward with it. All right, so if we shouldn't panic when Leo Carlson only has three points at the Holinka Gretzky Cup, we shouldn't get too excited that Chernik had seven points in five games at the Holinka? Yeah, and that was another thing, too, is like there was a lot of hype coming out of that for him, and while I, I certainly love seeing him produce offensively, it's still not one of those things where you, you got to go crazy over it. Definitely good to see, obviously, but nothing that you should be 
shooting them up your draft boards for us for sure. All right. Uh, and uh, well, let's go to the OHL. Quentin Musty, who was the first overall pick by the Sudbury Wolves a couple of years ago, listed at 6'2 and just over 200 pounds. Uh, having a uh, a pretty solid season, I would say, with the Sudbury Wolves on pace to be over 100 points this year. Uh, lots to like, at least on paper. Yeah, this is a kid that's been really up and down over the last couple of years. The big calling card for Quentin Musty has always been his shot. And this year, his shot has kind of failed him a little bit. It hasn't really been quite as, as productive as we've liked to see in, in years past. But his vision and the, his playmaking ability and, and willingness to use his teammates has exploded this year. It's been absolutely fantastic to see. I think there was a game last week of the week before we had a, where he had a goal and six assists, a seven-point night. Yeah. And it's just that ability, to, that willingness to defer, in, the willingness to not have to be the guy on every single play. And I think that's been a big development for him. I think that's something that you like seeing. But at the same time, sometimes he doesn't use the size that he has, the power that he has in his game, and he sticks to the outside a little bit too much. But when he does decide to turn it on and, and drive to that net, He's an absolute menace from in tight. And like I said, his shot is really, really good. It's not going in for him right now, but with a shot at the level that he has it, you have to assume it's going to eventually start going in. So if he has a hot second half as a goal scorer and maintains this ability to use his teammates the way he has, there could be a really big second half of the season. And even though he's been productive in the first half, it could be an even bigger second half. When you say he's uh, learning to use his teammates a lot better this year, I wonder could it have been that at lower levels he was the guy and had to do it all for his teams and you get to the OHL and surround and suddenly you're surrounded by other talented players it takes a little bit to to learn how to uh, play as a, as a team if you've been an individual for most of the way i don't know if that's the case but th- does that sound like something that might be at play there yeah i think that's definitely something that a lot of high end junior players coming that are, get drafted first second third overall in their junior league whether it's the OHL WHL or Q they have to deal with, they have to understand like, Hey, I'm not going to have to do everything on the next play. I'm not going to have to transition the puck up ice, find space for myself and get the shot off. Knowing that he has other guys on his team was a big thing. And I think you saw him be a little bit selfish last year. And then coming into this year, that's where that development come in. And he started using his teammates more. And I think it's just something you're always looking for, for a player like Quentin Musty. Um, At that size, is is there a physical element to his game? Does he like to play with uh, some body contact? Yeah, he'll, he's the guy that, like I said, he doesn't always go to the middle of the ice and attack the net front. But when he does, he's absolutely dominant on it. I think that's the next step for him. I think if he can do that, he can legitimately get himself in the top 20, top 15 of this draft class. But if not, there's still so much to work with because he does have that size and power ability to throw a defender on his back and, and not have to worry about it, win the board battles and stuff like that. So while he isn't the, the power forward in the way that a Fantillier Leo Carlson is, He's got that element in his back pocket to use it when he needs to. Tony, the last guy on the list to chat about is uh, Will Smith playing for the National Development Program, and uh, he's having a heck of a season uh, right now, 47 points in just 26 games. Uh, and uh, But again, uh, average size. He's six foot, but he's only 170 pounds, so lots of room to still to, to fill out there. I don't know if he's going to be that sort of a player or not, but uh, from what you've seen on the ice, what kind of a player is he? He's a magician with the puck. He's a guy that absolutely embarrasses junior-level defenders. I think we've seen him play against the USHL competition and absolutely and like put guys on their butts just by deking around them. He has, it seems like he has the puck on a string at times. It's really fun to watch. And then playing against NCAA players because the, the uh, national under-18 team gets the chance to play against some NCAA teams, he's just as efficient and just as smart there. I think he does a really good job of finding teammates, setting up guys. I think 
a guy like Gabe Perot on the U.S. under-18 team has benefited in a huge way by having a guy like Will Smith on his line and just being able to kind of get him the puck and, and let him score or get him the puck and let him use him as a bumper so that Will Smith can get the puck back. And, and Smith has a, that dual-threat element to his game where you think he's going to be the passer because he has a little skill and, and passing ability, but then he's more than willing to get into the shot the slot cut to the middle and, and get a, a great shot off. And the shot isn't elite, but it's certainly good enough to score 20, 30 goals at the NHL level as he develops. And he's got a guy, another guy like Ryan Leonard on his line, which is another fantastic player for that U.S. under-18 team. But Will Smith is the play driver for that line, for that team in general. And there really isn't any denying it because of how much he affects the game from the defensive end of the ice right through the offensive end and in transition. Yeah, he's leading that team in scoring, and the the, the program always has a uh, an offensively gifted club because it's got the best uh, players of that uh, age bracket uh, from the country uh, playing on it. How do you determine, as you said, he is the driver on that line? Is that an easy thing to, to figure out when you're watching these games? or is, I mean, some guys naturally benefit because of their line mates, but the way you describe it, that's not him in this case. No, I think it's something that you definitely have to watch a few games for because you look at that team's scoring list, and I think guys like uh, Ryan Leonard, Oliver Moore, and, and Gabe Perot are all sort of close in behind them in the scoring race. But it's the fact that when you watch this team over five, six, seven, eight, ten game samples, you see Will Smith is the one constantly with the puck creating offense. He's the one constantly with the puck moving through the neutral zone and in finding a, a streaking Ryan Leonard that's jetting towards the net. And while Leonard certainly has skill and power in his game himself. It's, it's the fact that Will Smith was the one that got it through the neutral zone and found him cutting in from the point. Or it's the fact that uh, Gabe Perot flees, like, flies the zone a little bit early. Will Smith finds him uh, up, going up ice and flips him a puck over the defenders and, and lets him get in on a breakaway. Mm. There's so many things that Will Smith does that creates the offense and, and drives play that I think is the reason you need to see that any player at this age play multiple times a one game sample three game sample even even a short tournament like a five nations or a helinka sometimes it doesn't give you the the full picture on a guy so i think it's good to see guys play multiple games and will smith is certainly one of those guys and that under 18 team in general you have to kind of watch a few games of them you got to watch games over time period as well like if you watch just in october you're not going to see who who it is that's driving playing december january february Hey, Tony, lastly, before I let you go, I don't know if you've been out to Cornwall at all or, or not or have been able to watch anything, but uh, are you uh, keeping tabs on what's happening at the World Junior A Challenge? I'm keeping tabs a little bit. I've got a bunch of the games saved on, on my computer to catch up on them, but the one thing I'll say is that Canada West team looks like an absolute juggernaut. Yeah, and I'm a little surprised that Sweden has struggled as much as they have. they got a lot of draft-eligible players on that team of, of note and don't seem to be uh, having the success uh, coming together. Uh, but we'll save that for another day since you haven't been able to watch the games. Uh, Tony, as always, man, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. What do you got coming up at the Hockey News? And I know you've got the OHL podcast that you do with Brock Otten as well. Yeah, got a couple of news episodes of the OHL podcast with Brock Otten out, THN on the O. Definitely check those out. We broke down the uh, Canadian World Junior Camp with Scott Wheeler uh, this week. So you can check that out. And as for me, tons of World Junior content coming up. and have got a, a bunch of stuff backlogged and ready to go for that. And on Monday, I'll be having my first top 50 for the NHL draft coming out this week wow. or this yeah on Monday and all the players that we talked about will all be in there and uh, there'll be a, quite a few of them pretty high up on the list well no rest for the wicked Tony uh, you got uh, it's a busy 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 time of year that's for sure thanks for doing this man I appreciate you fitting this in anytime Guy. always happy to join you
That's Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News, and that wraps up this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Next week on the program, well, we got to look ahead to the upcoming 2023 World Junior Championship being held in Halifax and Moncton. Should be well attended. Should be a, a terrific tournament. Yes, uh, there is a glaring omission because of uh, global politics right now, but we'll get a read on uh, what we should expect to see at the tournament over the holiday season. Quick thank you to everyone who has been signing up to be a patron at patreon.com slash show. You can get early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode of the show and every once in a while some other uh, special treats that come up there from time to time. All right, I got to get going. The uh, Oil Kings in action on uh, Friday night as the Swift Current Broncos are in town, but the holiday break right around the corner. Until next week, everybody, get out and watch some junior college hockey so that we can talk about it next week right here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. My name is Keith Flaming. See ya.